Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. And we are so excited today to have a co-host catch-up day. Michelle, we interview people all the time. We're always inspired by their stories. We learn. We make a list of t-shirt slogans. And sometimes it's fun to say, well, what are you doing? What's the latest? Let's hear as each of us is living in this world of... Oh, there's so much going on in this world. So much going on. (laughs) And so much going on in each of our worlds. I mean, really, that could be true of every guest we've ever interviewed. We could call back and say, tell us where you are today. Yeah. So... For today, we're going to call each other back and say, tell me where you are today. We know you're a widow. I'm a widow. Our husbands both died in 2018. We're four years out. We're, I think, doing great in, yeah. in terms of the circumstance. I feel like I we're, we're both thriving. We're learning. We're struggling. We're growing. What does that look like today? Let's catch up. Yeah. So let's see. The last time we did this, I think we talked about doing vision boards. I had a boyfriend and I was deciding to run a campaign. Oh my gosh, was that our last catch-up? That was our last okay, catch-up. so pretty much the whole world has changed since then. <laughs> How did the vision boards go? What do we say about the boyfriend? And let's talk a little bit about that campaign. So uh, the vision board was great. I've had to, I've been looking at my vision board a lot this week and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Some things did not necessarily pan out. Um, and this is your January vision board, right? My January, new year. yeah, okay. my, the, the new year for this year. And some things are like, are not going to pan out for this year that I know of. And one of those things was the campaign. Uh, the boyfriend actually wasn't directly on the vision board. But, but meaningful relationships. But meaning, like yes. That. And he and I did our own vision board as well, which we have both ceremoniously burned. Oh, good. So <laughs> apparently he's not the boyfriend anymore. I think we need to make that clear. He's, like put that into yeah, words. Yeah. Okay. We are not boyfriend and girlfriend any longer. And it's been a few months We broke up shortly before the campaign ended. The campaign was not successful, and neither was the boyfriend. (laughs) Let's define success. I think you ran a very successful campaign. Oh, thank you. Maybe it wasn't victorious on election day. Uh I think you did a great job with meeting people, interacting with people, starting difficult conversations, getting people to think or see things differently. So I think there's a great degree of success. And Probably with the boyfriend, too. I mean, there's yes. learning and there's growth, even oh if the outcome isn't what we predicted or hoped Absolutely. for. Absolutely. So in the campaign, you're right. I ran a great campaign. I worked really hard. 
And I had conversations that really upset some people who are currently still in office. So we'll just leave it at that. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having conversations and I'm okay with speaking what I see as the truth. And we need to have those difficult conversations, even if it takes several iterations of the conversations to get changes made. That's right. And so, so I have no regrets with that and I'm okay. It's also part of why sometimes I intimidate or create some uh, hesitation in people in elected office because I will speak the truth. Right. Mm. Or what is my truth? I'll say. Sure. And same with the boyfriend. The boyfriend and I, at first, the breakup was pretty mutual. And then it, it just was difficult. And we had some events that we had planned in the coming weeks after we had broke up. And he started to reach out to me and have some feelings and <clears throat> miss. And maybe not quite be ready to break up after the breakup. I, I just think there was some longing and realizing that he could have managed some of things differently. And he just wasn't ready to at that time. Anyway, regardless, at first, I kind of met him with anger, because I felt that I hadn't been given the full truth in a situation. Hmm. And, and I need the full truth. (laughs) Yeah, I can deal with truth and facts. I'm not really good at dealing with innuendos or soft selling messages. Like I just need it flat out straight. So that brought anger out in you. Your reaction was. Yeah. And not in a terrible way. It's just that I met him with just like when he would reach back out to me. I was like, what are you doing? You know, I just wasn't friendly. Sure. Anyway, it's been a few months now and we're now negotiating. How can we be friends because we have connection. We have a lot of, we have a lot of respect for, for one another's viewpoints. And I think that's important in relationships, particularly Mm -hmm. dating or or other, you know, significant other type of relationships, whether it's dating or some other significant other to make sure we hang on to the lessons learned, even the measure of success Mm -hmm. Even a relationship that ends with a breakup mm-hmm. or does not end with a marriage or a long term, yeah. there can still you know, be good come out of it, even if it doesn't last forever. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing you brought up, even if it doesn't result in that. Neither one of us went into this relationship seeking a marriage. And we both set up front, we're not looking to get remarried. Interesting. And then you didn't get remarried, <laughs> but it still feels like a loss. So, well, part of the loss is he helped me to learn how to dream again about yeah. a future and about potential. And as you know, as a widow, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, and I've it's seen it's beautiful you... and it's hard, right? I mean, oh, I, it's yeah. hard to, to see the future, right? <laughs> it's beautiful for me to watch you chase that future. And it's hard enough. I'm not even there yet to look for it. Right. But I've seen in some of the conversations you and I have had or other widows who have been able to find that love mm-hmm. again and that hope and that beauty that it can be done. Mm-hmm. You can still love John mm-hmm. and develop a new beautiful relationship. You're not choosing one or the other. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's not just as easy as I'm ready to date again. It It's a difficult undertaking. It is. And it's a process. And so some of the things that I learned in this relationship that I think are beautiful actually had some things to do with my relationship with John. Well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. So the crazy thing is, is that I started processing my anger of things with my relationship with John, you know, everyone 
says that, oh, you start to make them, they right. achieve sainthood, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. When someone's deceased, you yeah. remember only the good. Yeah. And that's actually not true. At least it's not yeah. true for me. But I had never gotten to the point of anger over my grief. Like that's, you know. Of the different stages or what yeah, have you. That yeah. That channel of grief that I don't believe in anyway, but. Like anger is supposed to be a part of it. And I never really got there, but I start processing some of the things that I was really angry in my relationship with John that I didn't realize that I had. And unfortunately, I kind of did that with Michael a little bit. But I think the good thing was, is that for Michael, he saw that John was a real person. Right. And And not just a saint. And, you know, and I would say to him, you're hearing some of the things that I didn't really ever talk about with anyone. I said, and I feel like you're getting an unfair picture of who John was. He was really a good man. And and it wasn't all these things either. Like this isn't also the truth. Right. Right. And during our breakup, one of the things that uh, Michael said to me was, uh, you know, it seems to me that you and John had a relationship that whenever you had a struggle or an obstacle, you took it as an opportunity for growth. You both did. Wow. And so this is Michael recognizing mm-hmm. this in your prior marriage to your now deceased husband. Yeah. Wow. And when he said that to me, I'm like, yeah, we did. But it's like, I never put it into words. Sure. And I always knew that that was true. Do you see it now more clearly looking oh, back? Yeah. Yeah. It is absolutely. Ev- what would that all be like? That. Michelle, what would that be like if with each of us in our relationships or just personal life? If we were to view the struggle, the mm-hmm. obstacle, the frustration, even the anger as an opportunity for growth. I mean, yeah. is that not resilience right there? Yeah, it is. And I think that that is part of who I am, mm-hmm. but it was also part of who John was. And I think that that's why we went through really difficult things in our marriage. And we still were able to, number one, we always knew ultimately we had this depth of love for one another. And ultimately we were committed to be together. Yeah. Like divorce was not the thing that I'm going to divorce you when we got mad. It wasn't the threat or the there, run to. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the run to. It wasn't running out the door. It wasn't all of those things. Now, I had to learn things about John and he had to learn things about me. I'm like, we're going to take this out. We're going to fight it out and we're going to get through this. And John was the person like, I need a day or two and then we can revisit that. Much healthier approach, sure. by the way. <laughs> You've got the gloves are off. <laughs> the gloves come off for me and I just want to battle it out. Typically, I'm not that way anymore. And, and part of that is because eventually I learned that sometimes things are better revisited when it's not in the heat of the moment. Settle down a bit. And I learned that through John. So I I feel like even though I had this relationship with Michael, I got to heal parts of my relationship with John and make peace with some things that I thought I had completely healed with John, but they came to another level. And that's really beautiful. And then I learned a lot of things about myself with Michael and I got to discover a lot about myself. I got to be challenged to show up in different ways and be a little bit more vulnerable in silly ways. And that's good for me because I tend to be too, I think I'm, so like if you ask my friend Carl, he'll tell me I'm funny. And I'm like, I'm not funny. I'm just easy to make fun of. And you think I'm funny because you're laughing, <laughs> you're at, laughing me. at me. <laughs> but you, live, you and I both live life with a certain intensity yeah. and intention that sometimes... We don't, a lot. we don't take advantage of the easiness or the lighthearted. I'm right. I can totally identify with that. Michelle, right. I love what you're saying. You know, again, we're both widows. I'm not to the point in my personal 
space that I'm looking for, another mm-hmm. romantic relationship or companionship or that. But I love hearing you talk about how even a failed boyfriend relationship, quote unquote mm-hmm. failed, mm-hmm. taught you, helped you gr- learn, grow, progress, and it still involved that beautiful mm-hmm. marriage relationship. Yeah. The ups and the downs. Because I know for me, particularly right after losing Brent, the thought of finding someone else felt like that meant I had to get rid of Brent mm-hmm. emotionally in my heart and my soul and my memories, which is nonsense. It, it can't mm-hmm. be done. And so to hear you say that this new and now over relationship mm-hmm. with another significant other helped you heal things from a, what, 30 year? How long were you married? 32. John? 32 years. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful too, because how many people who maybe both spouses are still living, they've been married 32 years. There's still healing to take place. Right. We learn, we grow. Our right. marriage, our, our companions like, see the worst of us and the best of us. I feel like John and I healed so much in the 22 months that he had he from diagnosis to the end. We were already working on our relationship before. We had almost divorced right before he you got diagnosed. You mentioned that before. Yeah. Kind of a turning point. Not divorced. Sorry. But just... We were going to separate for... Um, we would never divorce. In fact, what John said is, you need some time to yourself. And once you get it, you're going to come right back to me. That's what he told me. <laughs> and I ended up never leaving. And he was... Spot on. He, he, he was never wrong. You know, he, he, that man knew and understood me in ways Better I never you knew yourself. Myself. And I, I think that that's the hard part in navigating this world. It's like John was my grounding rod, and now oh I have goodness, to figure Michelle, out how to be my 100%. own grounding rod. And I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> that that feels like my life right now. So I love this update. I love that you put yourself out there in the political campaign. I think you absolutely had a positive impact. I hope we still hear more from you in that realm. I love that this relationship, though now over, has been educational and, and helpful for all of us. And even you know, me I still love out. this man. I love him. I don't romantically love him at this point, but I, I have nothing but love and respect for him. We still value each other. He recently called me, he reached out to work through some things. And I, I think that what we're trying to figure out is how do we have a connection and a friendship, even though, you know, he's, he's dating, he's actively dating right now. And I'm choosing not to. Yeah, you're kind of stepping back. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm. But st- how can you still continue to value each other, mm-hmm. maybe on a friendship level, yeah. or just a, a, a personal relationship yeah. without romantic relationship? Yeah, and and I did date for a while right after our breakup, and it's just recently that I've decided I'm just not interested. And I think there are times, when, and we should do a whole segment on dating and learning how to do self-care and even in the early dating process, Building how a relationship. it's easy to lose yourself, all of those things. We could do another update on that as well. Okay. So, For now, let's take a break and we'll yeah. come back and continue our co-host catch-up. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And we're back. (laughs) And Jenny, you just got the lowdown from my last little bit of life. That's a lot of life in not a very lot of time. I know. January (laughs) to, where are we? August. September-ish. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, here we are, the end of August. So it's getting ready for back to school. And on my drive down here, I was thinking... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I'm listening to KSL and they're talking about back to school stuff. And I started thinking about what that was like. And then I started thinking about you. And I'm like, Jenny has seven kids. I bet she has a kid in every age stage of, of schooling. We do. So this year we are preschool to senior in high school. That so is so crazy. I'm I'm kind of that old mom at preschool where most <laughs> of the moms are half my age. And my baby, my first baby is getting ready for her senior year. So that's um, exhausting, first of all. Let's anybody that has kids in school. I will tell you, Michelle, I love when summer starts. Mm -hmm. I am always, by May, by the end of the school year, I am always so ready to say we're out of here. And by the end of August, I'm so ready to say here we come back. So God bless the school teachers (laughs) and the principals and the aides and the everybody that makes a school tick. Amazing. So yeah, that's that's what we're up to right now. We just moved for one thing. Yeah. We, we built a home on our back lot. Oh, it's that, so beautiful. Thank you. We were so happy there. So I know a lot of people are kind of familiar with our story. Right after my husband was killed, a wonderful organization called Tunnel to Towers out of New York City paid off the mortgage of our older home. And so we had that equity combined with the increased market value of every single house in Utah right now, which is crazy what houses are, are going for. We were able to take that equity and basically turn it into a new build, thanks to our builder who helped us get the cost down. So we've got this new home that's just a better space for us. It's a better fit. Any mom that's listening, I think we all agree it's not necessarily how much space, but how the space is configured. Mm-hmm. And this new home is just it, its just laid out in a way that fits how we use our space. And we're crazy. Like, you mm-hmm. can come to our house night or day. It doesn't matter. You're always welcome. And it will always be chaos. Like, <laughs> I promise you, there's never a I've moment. only been a few times, but... Am I right? Yes. Am I right? I will always <laughs> welcome you in, and it will always look like a... I think one just, time I was crazy. there, and your little... Is it Carolyn? Carolyn. Line, yeah. Caroline, she was like getting things out of the refrigerator. and the... She was probably climbing yeah. into the yes. refrigerator, standing on the freezer door. Y- yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she's four. She's the preschooler. The floor. <laughs> but she fed herself. I think it worked out. Unless it was eggs. Did you come the day the eggs were on the floor? No, that could be I, I didn't see the eggs, but I think there was so, spilled milk. Here, so don't cry over spilled milk, Michelle. Here's a couple of lessons I've learned in, I hate to call myself a single parent, but I guess as a widowed mom, I'm yeah. a single parent. And there are certain things I look at my parenting and the structure of our home and just the day to day. And sometimes I absolutely cringe because I don't agree or approve. I I never would have thought this is how I'm parenting or this is what child. Sometimes it's just like getting through the day. And yet lately I've had kind of some of that reflective time. Moving, moving was a very reflective time. uh We lived in that home eight years. Brent and I lived in that home. We bought the home when we had our fifth baby brand new. 
So we brought a couple more kids into our family during that time. Our littler kids grew into bigger kids. He served a lot of time in politics. This home has all of the Brent and Jenny memories. And then we built on the land that he used as what we called his mini farm. Those listening, don't worry. We still have a third acre garden. So we got plenty of space. We just Mm -hmm. moved things around. So there was a lot of reflection. But in that reflection, as much as I'm cringing saying, oh, my goodness, we are a hot mess at my house all the time. I actually had a moment of, I guess, just acceptance is probably the best word that, you know what, we're okay. Mm -hmm. Motherhood doesn't look like I thought it would. My home doesn't look like I thought it would. Caroline feeding herself at age four doesn't look like I thought it would. It certainly doesn't look like it did with Megan, my oldest, when I probably micromanaged every single minute of her day. But I'm proud of my kids. And I think to a degree, I'm letting myself be proud of myself. Good. I've let go a lot. I am a type A perfectionist. I'm living a very non-type A perfect life. And the fact that I'm not completely at my wits end and impatient right now is a victory for me, honestly. And that yeah. was kind of a moment I had this last couple of weeks realizing I can sit on the couch, look around and just laugh and say, here we are. So we've just moved and that's been beautiful and stressful. Mm-hmm. And the goal has been to try to be unpacked and settled a bit by the time school starts, which mm-hmm. is right now. So we're getting my oldest registered for her senior year. She's going to be doing school part-time and an internship part-time. She really wants to go to college in Washington, D.C., Oh, So we're looking at what does it look like to go to college, to go away to college, to get into college. You know, most of us here in Utah, let's be honest, we graduate from high school in Utah and we find a college in Utah. And there's great colleges in Utah, great schools and universities. She really wants to get the heck out of here. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I encourage her to chase that dream. You know, for one, when I was a kid living in North Ogden, Utah, I wanted to get the heck out of here too. I think for her, she kind of wants to go to where people can know her as Megan Taylor and not the daughter of the late Major Taylor right. or not Jenny Taylor's family. or You know, there's we've lived a pretty public life, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, these past few years. And it's, it's come with some beautiful blessings. I'm not complaining. But as a 16, 17-year-old, she just wants to be herself. But the interesting thing is she wants to go into political science, which is 100% dad. Mm-hmm. And she's a brilliant public speaker, which I love to do. She's mm-hmm. far better at me, than me at it. But So I look at this girl and think, man, she is just walking potential. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be fun to see where she takes she it. Mm-hmm. And scary because, oh, my goodness, she's going to graduate. And is she ready? And are we ready? And will she get into college? And will she handle it? Will she have a nervous breakdown, you know, as a mom? Mm-hmm. So we've got that. And then... My next son is starting high school, so that's exciting. He's High school here starts in 10th grade. He's on the mountain biking team and on the swim team, which can I just give a huge shout-out to all school coaches and teachers because this pandemic has been really rough on all of us. Mm-hmm. I think these poor junior high and high school kids have had just such a difficult time. We've isolated them for a time they couldn't participate in extracurriculars. Learning was on a computer screen. They're hanging out in your basement all day, every day. There has been something so beautiful lately as my son's gotten involved in the swim team with awesome coaches and other parents that encourage him and just something about that physical exercise. Mm -hmm. And then recently he jumped into the mountain biking team and there is... Uh, again, the coaches are all volunteers. I mean, mm-hmm. these people work for pennies if they even get pennies. But I'm also really grateful for my community. A couple of my son's friends' parents help make sure he gets to mountain biking every single practice because mountain biking is not just in the backyard, right. it's in the mountains. 
and it's twice a week for a few hours and it's not close and it's it's a very inconvenient time mm-hmm. to just pack up. And there is one dad in particular that packs my kid and his bike up every Tuesday and every Thursday and takes him wherever the trail is. And so huge shout out to Ben Casey. But just the thought of community. We talk about resilience and how resilient we are. I would be nothing of resilience without wonderful people who help by lending what support they can. And if Ben ever can't pick Lincoln up for whatever reason, he helps get another parent to take care of it. So that's been a huge blessing. And not just a blessing for me and convenience. It's, I would say, changed Lincoln's life right now. I yeah. mean, he's active, he's physical, he's with friends, he's with coaches, he's pushing himself, he's falling off the dang bike or losing a race mm-hmm. at swim and learning from that. So that's been amazing. And then bless Alex. So this is like the update on Jenny's kids. But you'll see kind of the, the school side of it. Eighth grade, sixth and seventh grade were the pandemic. Fourth, fifth grade was when Brent died. So it's been been a hot minute, you know, for mm-hmm. him. And he's as smart as they come, one of those really analytical instant brains that has no interest in public school. You know, that's a struggle in and of itself, convincing you that actually math class matters and showing your work matters and you've got to do what the teacher requires you to do. And I think there's a lot of resilience lessons as a young kid when you're kind of just learning to go through the motions. And I don't say that disparagingly. I think a lot of life is going through the motions. How many times do we say life? Show up. You got to show up and and then put yourself forward. So we're working on that. And I got three at elementary and I'm super excited because I get to go back to PTA this year. And I know most, right? That is what most people say. Oh my gosh. I never did PTA. Oh my gosh. You would have dominated PTA, Michelle. Holy cow. You would have like single-handedly carried it. So, most people, when I say I'm getting back in PTA, they'll say, what on earth? Why? You're so busy. You don't need to do that. I like it. I was a school teacher before my kids were mm. born. I have a passion for the classroom. I'm not at a point where I'm ready to go jump into a classroom from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. all day, every day. And, you know, I love being able to be involved, knowing the teachers, knowing the principals, knowing what's happening. And so I'm really excited to go back um, kind of just full throttle to PTA this year. It's my boy Jacob's sixth grade year so he's king of the elementary and he actually likes when I come to school versus the older kids like die if they see mom at school Mm -hmm. so there's kind of that magic Jonathan Ellie and Jacob are all at elementary this year together we've got first fourth and sixth grade and we're going to go run a PTA and have a lot of fun because we're bringing parents together with teachers trying to pick up the pieces from these pandemic years it's going to be amazing that is so fun. I'm you're talking and it's starting to bring up memories of my kids at school. Isn't it? You crazy? know, my oldest son, he's thirty one now. On the few times that I had to drive him to high school, he would still always lean over and kiss me and get out of the car. Oh, mama heart. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. And my youngest was like, drop me off back here. Oh, for sure. And he's like, Mom, I'm not hugging Around you. Around the corner. I'm not yeah. hugging you and you cannot kiss me. <laughs> Don't do that. And so it's just so funny how different all of those personalities are. My oldest son is still my baby boy. Oh, that is he so is sweet. happily That's married. My Jacob, he cleaves to his grader. wife. Like there's yeah. no he's there's no apron strings sure. there. Very healthy, very but, healthy, but tender but mama heart. He has a tender mama heart, and when I need him, he will show up. I oh. I don't ask a lot. In fact, I don't ask 
much of anything of him um, because I'm sensitive to the fact that I remember how hard it was on John and I to be young parents. We didn't have there's so much going grandparents on. around. We didn't have aunt and uncles around. Yeah, he has more of those resources available for his family, um, but he has a stay at home mom, and yeah. I do take the kids occasionally, and and the other grandparents take the kids occasionally. I never had that. But I just, I, I don't like to ask much. Uh, that's yeah. kind of that type of hmm. personality. Are we surprised by that? <laughs> I know. We but, could have a whole other lesson about asking for help, Michelle. I know. <laughs> you are teaching me that. It's getting I, better. I've gotten, I've, you know, and, and let's go back to this. So sweet little Caroline, Jonathan's going to be in school all day this year. First time mm-hmm. all day. Caroline's going to be in, in preschool a couple of days a week for a couple of hours. There really is no way I would be able to do what I do or even keep my head above water by myself. And one of the biggest lessons, if we were to say, hey, what lesson do I continue to learn every day? You know, now four years, we're almost to four years from Brent's death, but we're almost five years to when he deployed because Caroline's going to be five and she was a teeny baby when he left. So she's my timekeeper. I've learned it's okay to ask for help. I've learned to be better at how to ask for help and how to receive that help. But I will say it also feels really, really good to think maybe I can start helping people again this year. Like yeah. PTA, like I, I can, I can contribute something. Are you kidding me? I don't just have to be yeah. the, the help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I might help so someone what? else. Feels beautiful. What happened to PTA during COVID? Bless their hearts, they did what they could do. Our elementary school did little class parties in a box where they had almost like a little take home thing that you would have had a class party, but you oh, weren't wow. together. We couldn't gather. Bless our PTA at the elementary. The same ladies did it the two years in a row because everything kind of shut down and paused. Wow. So I think our PTA has been amazing where my kids go to school. Our administrators and teachers are amazing. And I think everybody's, I'm not the only one excited to jump back in. Yeah, It's chaotic and the school year has its own level of exhaustion. Routine is good. Predictability is good. Schedules are good. Mm-hmm. And we're excited to jump in and serve. So there's my catch up. Okay, I'm going to go to a break. When we come back, let's talk about resiliency a little bit on that, on schedules. And the value and benefit of routine. Oh, man. I, I know it. I don't do it. <laughs> I know what you just said. I'm excited about it because it's coming back. We're going to take a break and be right back. love talking to you, Jenny. You inspire a million directions in my brain and my mind. And one of the things you were talking about early on in our conversation was you're a type A perfectionist, get it done, you know, and I would add to that black and white. I was very much like that before John died. And for me, I can tell you the moment it broke for me. Really? The moment it broke. Let's hear. John's celebration of life. I show up and they're like, the churro machine's broken. And I'm like, but I wanted to give everyone churros. Like, how do you have a broken churro machine when, like, I pay when for that's the what churros. you're serving is yes. churros? Yeah, find some other churro machine, people. And, <laughs> and for me, typically, I would have raised heck and been like, well, I don't care where you're going to find it. Go get me a damn churro machine. Yeah. I didn't. I I just said, okay. And then 
I ordered forks to be served with the ice cream because John ate, and I don't understand it, but, but you've evidently mentioned that this before. is the thing. He ate ice yes, cream with, with a fork. fork. And Aww. that's how I wanted it served because yeah. this was about him, mm-hmm. right? 100%. Now, there was a lot of things that were beautifully, poetically perfect. We held it out at Utah Motorsports Campus. It was, was during a race car driver. the Le Mans 24-hour race, which was not a race that he ever raced in, but he loved going out there for that. So the track was hot the whole time. And there were so many things that were beautiful and perfect about that day. I served family and friends from out of town and and a few very close family friends that were close to John dinner before the actual event upstairs. And several of the men walked out onto the balcony and was watching the race. And, you know, we're hearing the cars going around. And my friend Jason was like, this is perfect. Yeah. This is John. So fitting for the and celebration it, he of was his just life. Tore up about it. Like he was tearful and crying and like there were so many perfect things, but there were those couple things that went wrong when they happened. So did they not have the forks? Is they didn't have saying? the forks. So they you ordered forks spoons. for ice cream. Yep. They, they figured it, it was, was an a error. mistake. Yep. And the darn churro machine, machine broke down. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get a churro and to happen. You didn't lose your cool. I didn't lose my cool and I also it was almost like John was saying, Michelle, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's okay. So every type A person that's listening right now understands what a victory that is. Mm-hmm. Every other person's like, what's the big deal? Because people like you and me. Yep. Th- and that's you know. I, I think like, that's where I got these last couple of weeks. I could look at it and say, I haven't freaked out over every single second of every single day of my life that is so imperfect and out of control right now. Holy cow, I'm doing awesome. Like, do you know what I mean? It was, instead of it being frustrating, instead of it feeling like failure, and instead of it feeling like this is just one more reminder, Brent is dead, which those emotions go through my head. Don't get me wrong. In a moment, I just thought, I've, I've grown a lot. Like, look at, and I still freak out plenty. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've learned to chill out a little bit. So the fact that you could have spoons with ice cream and no churros and still be okay on and such the, a significant day, too. Uh, right. This was the day, like, I had gone through the program the for program. the day and whatnot. There were some things that I had made little errors on, and I was just like, ah, oh, dang. Yeah. And, and it, like, at first I was disappointed my, with myself, but when I heard about the forks and the churros, something just clicked in me, and I was like, okay. Here we go. And And I'm like, so this is what it's going to be like. And my life has been a series of letting go of things. Surrender. And and I think about that moment. I imagine other people that don't get it can't possibly get what I'm talking about. That was a huge moment for yeah. me. And whenever I come up against a wall of something, I think back to that and I think it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have forks and, and churros. And people aren't going to know. And it's okay that those details matter to me. But in the big picture, they don't matter at all. And it's okay, and I'm just going to let it go. Let it go. Trust and let it go. I think that's one of the greatest lessons I feel like I'm right in the middle of right now, and it's the concept of the reaction, mm-hmm. where we all want to control the circumstance. We want to control the person. I want to control my kids. I want to control the weather. I want everything to be predictable and beautiful and just as I planned, which is 100% not possible. <laughs> and and there was kind of this thought that came into my mind not long ago where it just thought, just focus on your reaction. Mm-hmm. What if when everything goes wrong, yeah, I catch myself for a second and think, I can control my reaction. Mm -hmm. I can control how I respond to this. And I could respond in such a way that escalates everything and could be perfectly justifiable and understandable. 
or I could choose to just chill out. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the middle of that right now where I feel like um, I'm trying to focus on the reaction rather than the situation. Because the situation so often is out of our control and yeah. that can be frustrating versus the reaction. Even like this morning, I'm not going to lie. It's a Monday while we're recording. <laughs> Mondays are terrible. School's starting in a minute. Every like The morning had already just fallen apart 465 times. I was frustrated with the kids, with the house. We still have boxes. And I... No one will Walk. return our phone calls. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> I walked into my bedroom. I walked into my bedroom and I was like talking to myself or maybe it was Brent. I'm not sure. Or God, whose voice was it? But it was kind of like, Jen, you got to chill out or you're going to ruin this day for everyone. Yeah. And it was that pivotal moment where I kind of took a breath and went and ate something and just said, okay, we're going to make it even through today. Yeah. So isn't it funny that we can survive death and tragedy yeah. and sometimes the little moments are <laughs> yeah. what get us. You know, it's interesting because I've been in this dating world and whatnot and there seems to be a recurrent theme and and it's funny because I think, well, well I know this better than everyone. Like I, I'll be talking to people and I just ask people because I want to hear like, what's your takeaway on you've been dating for a couple years now? Like, how do you, you figure this out? And Really, I'm looking for a great story that maybe I could have somebody on for on air. She's always prospecting for the podcast. <laughs> I am. And um, well, that's what I do. I, I love to hear people's stories, you know, and I haven't really connected with anyone that that like has it figured out in such a positive, healthy, great way that I'm inspired by. But there's a lot of good good things. And people will say, well, take self-care and take time for yourself and do this and do that. And don't worry about dating. And, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, quick advice, but the interesting thing is when you're a widow, what you realize a lot of people, when they're dating, they're dating for the prospect of marriage or their lifelong, whatever. And I've actually never done that. And the reason I've never done that is what I've learned about life is I'm not in control. (laughs) Yeah. It's that letting go or surrender you just mentioned. And there's some, I think it's a country song and I can't remember who sings it. I'm terrible at remembering those things, but there's a line in a song and it says, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Mm. Right. So true. So like you have the potential dreams. So John and I, part of the grief process is that we believe that we had this future together. I believed I had John and I talked about our deaths. We had decided that we either wanted to be in rocking chairs in our eighties, holding Holding hands hands. and die together on our porch, Mm. waiting for the kids to come over with the grandkids. Or Or, we would die. Or (laughs) we would die traveling in in a fiery plane crash. Oh, but on some great adventure, but on a great adventure, or we would die in our sleep. Oh, in our bed together or none of those. And, um, and of course none of those things happened. Yeah. <laughs> and he left me far too soon and he was healthy, healthy, healthy. And for but him then to get left cancer, in a difficult way, left in a just very peaceful. difficult way. Yeah. And it was not in our plan. Right. So part of the grief process is what it's grieving the potential of what mm-hmm. we believed. I believe you that don't we just had, lose what you had. You lose what you would have had. Or the belief or dreams that you sure. created together, right? The idea that that was going to be what it was. The truth of the matter is, I don't know that if he was healthy and alive today, that that's what would have happened anyway. And there's so many variabilities in life and mortality that 
Did none I tell of it you, makes any sense anyhow. Okay, so I have a story for this that with my older son, Lincoln. I, maybe I've told you this before. One day he was really being mouthy. I was really getting frustrated. I was not controlling my reactions well. And it was escalating. And I just looked at him and I said, would you speak to me like this if your father were still alive? Kind of like the, you would never do this if dad were here. He looked at me without skipping a beat and said, I don't know. And all of a sudden I realized, I don't know. I don't know what raising teenagers with a living husband might have been like. It's easy to say this is so hard and exhausting to have seven kids going back to school because my husband's dead. It still would have been hard and exhausting with a husband alive. Right. You know, how often do we, like you said, we had the dream, the picture, the ideal, the expectation. We don't know what it actually would have been. Yeah. But Lincoln taught me that lesson when he just said, That's a powerful lesson. What a smart boy. Yep. I don't know. And what an honest response. Mm -hmm. How beautiful is that, that he can have an honest response And what a lesson for me. That's one of those things where as the mom, I had to just stop. Yeah. That's deep. Really quick, I wanted to hit on resiliency with the school year and whatnot. Oh, yeah. The benefits of schedule. I have learned recently. Um, routine, I routine, co- routine. I got into routine with Michael. Um, we had a one week on, one week off, and then we kind of had very... We, we were always pulling out our calendar in ordering to fit in our relationship and make it a priority. When that fell away, I was like, what am I going to do? I immediately... Got to so work. that loss of structure, yeah. Within two days, I was on the phone. I had booked a trip to Belize. I had booked a meeting with a health coach. I mean, I had a whole list of things that I did to immediately to build, build some, structure. some structure so that I didn't get lost in depression because I had a big fear of like, am I going to have to grieve like I did with my husband? And is this going to be a two or three year process? Like, I don't have it. I don't want it. And I realized it's none of those things, but it was a real fear for me because this was my first relationship after the loss of John. And so I took it on, you know, I bought a keyboard. I'm practicing the piano. I we're going to have a talent show soon, you guys. (laughs) No, we're not. (laughs) So I think that routine and structure is important. I'm trying to figure out what that schedule needs to look like for my day. And I still haven't gotten my perfect schedule together. And of course, as we're talking about perfection, there is no perfect (laughs) and there will be drops in schedules or whatever and adjustments to be made. And I want to make room for somebody else. So I don't want to bury myself to the point that that there's not time. Right. I think the biggest thing I look forward to when the school year starts is it, it kind of forces that structure back on us. And then we, we thrive in that structure. I've, I've been in a lot of classrooms with the PTA, Mm -hmm. right? You can tell a teacher who has a strong structure system in the classroom by kind of how the class feels when you're in there. Now, that's right. not to say there's not crazy kids in well-structured classes right. or not good kids in a little disorder. I totally classes. have seen it in but, my but kids sometimes, years. Yeah. Particularly last year as the pandemic restrictions started to loosen and I was getting back in the classroom a little and I was remembering how much I love it. And I would go in classrooms and I would say, oh, this is so structured. The kids know what to do. There's a set schedule. The schedule's clear on the board. They know what to expect. And then there was another class that was just a lot more kind of loosey-goosey. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's my life. Mm-hmm. My life in that year or two, three after Brent died was it just felt it was it was we didn't know where we would be. What's next? I don't know. We were literally always kind of just making it up as we went and, and running, running ragged. Yep. Now, this new home, this new school year, we're really focusing on that same thing, setting up schedules, not over scheduling, because mm-hmm. I think that's what our generation, my generation particularly, you know, we want to over schedule every kid, but. 
leaving the free time room, Mm -hmm. but having the structure. Kids thrive in it, whether they're five or 50. We all do. Mm -hmm. Some kind of knowing what to expect and then being able to adjust when expectations have to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I look at my kids and see now that we can get into some routines. Lincoln, for example, not only does he get the physical activity at sports, not only does he have the social connection and coaching, it's a very set schedule. Mm-hmm. We know that on this day at this time, he needs to be doing this. So we structure the rest of us around that. And I really do look forward to the school year and the structure that will kind of force us into. And then I'm not going to lie by May, I'm going to be ready to throw structure out the window. So I think there's some of that both. Mm-hmm. And for me, the school year gives that natural opportunity to kind of structure and then let go in the summer, then come back into some structure. I think we'd probably all be better in our personal effort for resilience or our goals for resilience to build some of that into the day, to the week, to the month. Let yourself have some time where it's not super scheduled, but give yourself that structure because it does help with things like anxiety and chaos and clarity. I'm working on some projects right now. One of them is to gather all of the information to write a book on the process of losing John. Yeah. And um, I'm gathering the resources to be able to do that. But while I've been doing this structured time and like I get up in the morning and I practice my piano for an hour and those kind of things in my afternoons are still kind of free and my evenings. And I have been really particular about not scheduling too much too much and i have actually just spent a lot of quiet time at home i like to hang out on my back patio and listen to music and i just play with my dog and throw the ball and, and how my important dog needs it is that. To i need that schedule that freedom into your schedule yes otherwise it's easy to get busy and it never happens and you don't take and, a chance and i've to been really protecting those hours of time it's also available for my kids if they need me or if i need to watch grandkids or or whatever but it gives me the opportunity to have the downtime and the alone time. And I think that that's something that at first as a widow, I didn't want it. It's scary. It's scary. I was yeah. afraid to be alone. I didn't want to be lonely. I actually really like I could probably be very content to just say, I'm okay. I'm not going to date and I'm just going to do my own life and just yeah. focus on me and my kids and my own interest. And I could build a very successful life that I would be okay with. I need people, but I have great relationships that I'm working on building. I think connection is really important, but don't get me wrong. One of the greatest gifts I learned in this relationship with Michael is that I actually want a committed relationship in the future. And I want the hope of the dream of building a long life with somebody Facing challenges together and building and working through them. I miss that and I want it, but I'm very content in my life. Like I'm happy. I love that. I love this has been such a fun co-host catch up. I love hearing all about resilience in that being content with where Mm -hmm. you are while still able to dream and and look forward to the Mm -hmm. future and differences, knowing there's a time and a season for different things. The fact that relationships are so important, connection with humans is so important, and it doesn't just mean a romantic mm-hmm. relationship, but but it can. Right. And and I think there's just so much to process here. I can't wait till our next catch up because I swear, three or four months go by and the world flips upside down, and it's, I don't, we it's should so do this much sooner. New. I think the next co-host one that well, we're going to be recording 
pretty soon our 100th episode. And that'll be a special one on us, but we're going to really be reflective on what we learn and where we're going to take the show. So that'll yeah. be excited. That's coming so stay up Stay tuned for quick. that. But we could do a, a, a couple different ones on just different aspects of healthy living, like connection. Yeah. Why is that so important? And yeah. Because during the loss of this pandemic, I think everybody feels it everywhere. Yeah. You know, the single groups that I attend, everyone. And like I said, I think that's wanting why connection. I'm so excited to jump into PTA because that is a way for me to connect. I connect yeah. to my kids. I connect to their friends and their teachers. I connect to the school. I feel like I'm helping yeah. rather than just I heard being that. helped. It's, In fact, that's what triggered it is it is one when of you started my... talking about connection. And I thought about it for the kids, too. Yeah. It's one of my coping mechanisms. Honestly, serving in the PTA. I love it. So PTA ladies, thank you so much. I love serving with all of you can't wait go mountaineers go titans go warriors you guys you've been listening to some catch-up from our co-host conversation here we know you have a story if you're listening you have a story and we would love to hear it and learn from you and with you whatever you've learned as you've gone through hard times and good times and bad times and ugly times yeah we want to hear about how you're resilient how do you build those muscles and how do you work on that yeah i know every time we talk to someone about their resilience it helps strengthen ours so absolutely find us on your favorite podcast platform like us give us a rating and a review and then be brave and contact us you can find us on social media at relentlessly resilient podcast or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com And whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Take care. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.